This is the Actors Diet Podcast. I'm Lynn Chen, and today my guest is Kelsey Miller, who you may know from her writing at Refinery29, the anti-diet, I can't say that right, the anti-diet project. Do you pronounce it anti-diet or anti-diet? You know, I, I think I think both are totally acceptable. Um, I've never actually, I think I say anti-diet project, but that's probably just a habit. I wonder if um, it's an East Coast, West Coast thing. Oh, it might be. It might be. <laughs> that's always funny. Well, it's the anti-diet project or anti-diet project. And as, you want. As, as of January 5th, you have a book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dining and Got a Life. Pretty cool, huh? It is very cool. I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious why I asked you to be on the show. I mean, <laughs> everyone who reads my blog and listens to this podcast knows that even though my site is called The Actor's Diet, I don't actually believe in dieting. So I am thrilled to talk to a fellow anti or anti-dieter. Delve oh, a little, delve a little nice. deeper into your life. Find out what, what's filling your days and your, and your plate. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, oh, this is great. Let's talk. Good. Let's go before. Let's go back to the dieting days, shall we? Okay. <laughs> um, and and what that looked like for you? Um, you know, it was it was different and more complicated uh, with every year and every new diet. You know, with my first sort of official formal diet, uh, even though I'd been sort of like being a weirdo about food since uh, before I can really remember. Um, I. I did when I was 11 and it was, I think, I mean, I remember eating a lot of lemon yogurt and a lot of raw green beans and lemon uh, yogurt, like prepared lemon yogurt or was it lemon yogurt you're making yourself? No, no, no. Like (laughs) Dannon, light fit, you know, that sort of fakey yogurt. I mean, that's not, that's not really yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, uh, like a lot of like skinless chicken breasts and that kind of thing. And and that was, um, you know, very effective when you're 11 years old <laughs> to who, eat, be mostly eating only that. <laughs> who told you how to do that? Like who? You know, I, I honestly don't, I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was, my, my mom was sort of my partner in that diet. It was when I was, I was getting, um, I had been I had been asked to to lose weight by a talent agency that was hoping to sign me when um well I was hoping would sign me when I was that age and they wanted me to lose 10 pounds in 2 weeks and I was like great yeah absolutely hell yeah so um you know and my mom was there with me and I just you know I I wanted to to do it and I guess she knew what to do so I just you know she was very she prepared my you know my green beans and stuff like that and I'm sure I'm sure I had my own ideas as well, but I think, you know, mo- most kids pick those things up from from their parents and stuff. And I probably was watching her from when whatever she was dieting. And um, so the short answer is I don't have n- there. This wasn't a, a formal thing. This was just like as little as possible <laughs> for right. a little while. Right. And then, you know, I started doing things like Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and Eat Right for Your Type and all those other things. And as I grew up and and each and I would do each diet, you know, my sort of rules about dieting and food became more complicated by those particular stories. Right. Um, stories, diets, whatever. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> they do. They and do tell you a story, don't they? They do. Um, to the point where I was just like full of, of – of nonsense of like food propaganda and rules that didn't, that didn't make any sense and, and points and those carb counts and calorie counts and the whole thing. And, um, yeah, I just, I reached a a breaking point, I think when I think I, I just ran out of steam. I ran out of the ability to get it up for another diet and, and, and finally realized deep in my bones how 
much it was not working and how much it was in fact working against me in so, so, so many ways. When you say it was working against you, is that in the form of that the diet wasn't working and that you were gaining weight again or what? In that way, absolutely. But also in that it just made me more messed up about food every time. Um, It made me, you know, I, I acted, it made me more stressed out. It made me more uh, filled with with self-loathing it made me feel less like without without agency and and without the ability to sort of like live my life and do things like date and start a career because I felt like oh I'm not ready I'm I'm not I have I've broken all these rules I can't even do my diet right I can't even like be a a weight that I want to be I can't even do this why can't so of course I can't do anything else I'm not good enough yet I'm not I'm not ready you know, I heard you over at our mutual friend Jessica's one part podcast recently. And um, I mean, that is why I felt such a connection to you. I was listening to you and was like, yes, everything you're saying. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, you say something about how you thought you, you didn't really categorize yourself as having an eating disorder, correct? Yeah. More like eating, just eating issues. Yeah, I think I definitely eating stuff. Had- yeah, eating stuff. I had disordered eating. I don't think there was ever a time when, I mean, who the hell knows? Because I was a sneak and I definitely went through periods when I would like be in a therapist's office and I would, you know, I would have the Ednos diagnosis code. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think everybody could say, could point to me and say like, that's an anorexic, that's an orthorexic or something like that. But, you know, I definitely engaged in, um, you know, bulimic behavior at, mm-hmm. at a certain point and I went through periods of extreme restriction and I absolutely went through periods of, of binging, um, quite, quite frequently and for extended periods of time. So, um, you know, just because I, I don't think anybody put those labels on me, I don't think that I'm entirely without them. I think I wandered onto those labels myself at various points. Um, yeah. So the journey to the anti diet. <laughs> now I just changed the way I yeah. said it again. Yeah, I so know, it's hard. Now it's in my head too. <laughs> I'm just going to keep using both both ways of saying okay. it. Um, the journey to that place. How did what what sparked it? Well, I I had a very classic, very cinematic sort of bottoming out moment where I was. Uh, doing an exercise like a, a like a warrior workout in the woods one time when I was on a press trip and um, I was I, I stopped because I physically couldn't keep going and you know one of the sort of annoying slash wonderful things about exercise is it kind of is an emotional trigger at least for me and it kind of it gave me what felt like an anxiety attack but the opposite it was like a uh, a um, sort of enlightenment attack where I really was done. I realized I couldn't, I could not keep going in this moment and I couldn't keep going in general in the path that I had been, I've been going on. I had to find a different way. And I had this um, idea of intuitive eating, you know, floating around in the back of my head from having seen that title before, but not really engaging with it because it sounded really sort of mystical and bullshit. And anyway, I wanted to, you know, lose weight. So that, and, and intuitive eating didn't make any promises about losing weight. So I had that idea in my mind sort of in the background for a while. And then when I hit this moment, that's when it sort of came screaming to the forefront where it was like, I, I got to find a way out of this. And I think, I think that might be part of it. I think that might be the path out. And so was it an initial, so obviously it was, it was for you, but did it turn into something where when the site started to grow into more of a community uh, and you started getting responses, did you start to feel like it was 
uh, not as much on you anymore? Or has that changed for you? Well, or, ha- or I, was it like that? I'm, I'm reading into it. The, the feeling like this, this shift. Yeah. In, like, like um, has, has, has writing the site and running the site, has that changed your relationship to this attitude about uh, intuitive eating? Oh yeah, I mean, I think when I when when I started doing it, when I had that moment, that's when I recognized that this how real and how common sense it was. Um, it, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh yeah, no, this is it. This is that thing, that thing that you know sounded too good to be true and kind of weird and meditative. That's it, that's the truth. That's why it's sticking around in your head. So um, I I did that like from the very beginning. I just sort of had to embrace it wholeheartedly, even though I had those reservations, which were really about the reservations that had come to me from being a lifelong dieter, which is just like, wait a minute, isn't the most important thing to lose weight no matter what? That's got to be the primary goal. I mean, shifting away from that goal that had been there with me for for my entire life towards something else, which was like to create a neutral relationship with food and learn how to eat like a normal person. That was a huge sea change for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the second I started doing it, the, the second I instantly realized um, how, how important and life changing it was and how it was absolutely, I mean, I wish I'd been ready to hear about that years ago. If know? someone is listening right now, and is sort of like you talked so beautifully about giving yourself permission to eat on Jessica's podcast um and I know that there's probably people who are trying to give themselves permission to stop dieting Mm -hmm. and having a lot of trouble with that how would you go about saying um how would you go about thinking about that oh wow god it's it's a really tough one because I don't I don't think that I would have been ready had somebody come to me with that concept um, before I came to it myself. I mean, I think we all reached the end point. But what I hope is that by sort of broadcasting this message a little louder, people will will hear it sooner, you know, and 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 discover it for themselves because it really is, you know, it's such a deeply personal thing, and it's so easy to feel isolated and, and be sort of, you know, in your head about this and your own beliefs. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard, it's a hard thing to let go of the dieting cycle as well, even if you really want to, because it's something that I I don't think most of us realize how much it infiltrates the rest of our lives. And so when you let go of that, you're really committing to, you know, a life change, a lifestyle change, as they all say, you know, and um, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's not an easy thing. So I think that's one thing to remember is is just to be like it's it's not easy and it's okay that it's not easy. Just because it's not a diet doesn't mean it's not hard. That was a really hard lesson for me to learn, but when I did, you know, everything actually got a lot easier because I wasn't expecting it to be just, you know, easy breezy. Yeah. One of the things I struggle a lot with is even though I've eliminated certain words from my vocabulary, mm-hmm. a lot of society hasn't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm talking with just girlfriends or just people in general, um, and they're using that same rhetoric, um, I'm sort of like, I, my, my, you know, my triggers go off, my radar's up, and, but then I just stay silent. And it's almost like, um, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, you guys, you know I'm a body image activist, and you're still <laughs> talking this way in front of me. So either you're, like, insulting me, or you just have no clue, and usually I just ignore it, but I'm wondering how you deal with it. Hmm. It's really difficult because 
I, I do. I spend my day, you know, in, in large part writing about this magical, wonderful world. And therefore I have this, this community around me and I feel a part of that community, but it's not the same community that most of the people in my general social, social circles are in. And they're certainly supportive of me, but if I, you know, if I were to sit down and, and start talking about body positivity, I think probably one of the first questions from them would be like, wait, so what is body positivity? That kind of thing. Or what is intuitive eating or like wh- that kind of thing. So, um, I try to just recognize, oh God, it's so hard not to get on the high horse, but the high horse doesn't help you, I think. <laughs> so I think it's really about choosing your battles. If somebody's like attacking me or or being critical of me directly, I really do try hard to respond in the way that I would like to respond, which is not necessarily, you know, defensive, but certainly respectful and corrective. Um, even if that just means putting up a boundary between you and somebody who doesn't get it. Uh, and when it comes to friends, I mean, that's a tough, tougher, more complicated thing. You really got to choose your battles. If somebody is spewing off a lot of bullshit on a regular basis, I think it's worth it to find a way to talk about it to them, but in a way that's like going to preserve your relationship, Yeah, you know, because ultimately my relationships with my friends are deeply important to me and I don't want to alienate them by being, you know, by by coming off as attacking them, you know? Yeah. Recognizing that this is not the mainstream for everybody around you. So don't talk about it like they're total idiots and assholes for for not getting it right off the bat. Right. What uh, let let's talk about what your um what your everyday, not everyday, but um what 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 your food looks like now. Okay. On a on a on on what does it look like this January? Because I'm sure maybe it looks different than it did last January or in December oh, yeah. or in March, you know? Like- also, I will say this weird thing happened that I've written about before where I where I started to eat more seasonally when I did intuitive eating. And I was like, oh, my God, my stomach is psychic. And, like, all those things about eating seasonally are totally true. And, like, it <laughs> naturally happens. And this is, this is so mystical. And I was, like, talking about it with my eating coach. She was like, no, I think, I think it's just that winter foods taste good in the winter and they're all on sale. That's very true. It's like, also, yeah, it's like man, I do. Do not like strawberries right now because they're not in season. I know. It's like that's why it comes down to like something that sounds really mystical and weird, and you're like, no, it's pretty much basic common sense. (laughs) (laughs) And so you realize how like how what a lack of common sense you've had in your life up until now. Anyway, that was a tangent. So I think right now in January, I mean, I have to say I'm a huge, huge fan of winter vegetables, and and like Eastern European food is sort of my favorite. And I live in a Polish neighborhood, so it's amazing. So I last night I made borscht. I made vegetarian borscht actually because I had a vegetarian friend over, and that was fantastic. And um, where'd you get the recipe? Um, you know, it's like I had this that one good recipe one time, and then I lost it, and so I'm constantly googling it. But I made one that I found just on food.com, and it was called like the Russian Winter Palace's borscht, and I was like, good enough for me. <laughs> so um, I like anything with cabbage and beets. So I made that. Um, earlier this week, cause I've been, I've been working from home a lot when I've been doing, you know, um, like phone interviews and stuff for the book. I made a, a Marcella Hazan, uh, ragu recipe, the kind of thing that has to sit on the stove for like five hours. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice cause it's like, it's cold and you want something sort of hot simmering away on the stove. So I do that. Um, my breakfast year is, is pretty much similar year round. I'm, I'm a big egg person. I, I have like soft boiled eggs and toast or, um, 
I like the, if I'm out and about, I love the Pret-a-Manger, like roasted tomato and egg sandwich. It's like my favorite thing. Mm. Do you have a way of eating your eggs and toast? Like a particular yeah. manner? Um, normally I put, you know, I put like soft boiled eggs in a bowl and I kind of, you know, dip my toast in there. But I actually got some egg cups for my cousin for Christmas. So I've been doing them, you know, doing that style where you cut your toast into little strips and dip it into the egg. Yes. And the egg. Yeah. That is fun. You know where I learned to do that was at Le Pan Quotidien. Oh, yeah. I um, have <laughs> never done that before. And then I went out to eat with someone and they did it. And I was like, this is fascinating. It's great. <laughs> you don't get the yolk everywhere. And it's yeah. like such an elegant way of eating. I don't know. I really get a kick out of it. But I, I need my eggs in the morning for sure. Mm-hmm. So you you don't follow any um, God I'm trying not to use the word diet, but no, um, okay. you don't you don't are you vegetarian or do are you um, you you're an no. omnivore? I am an omnivore. I mean, I the, the weird and thing that people that often disappoints people about me so much is that I hate cheese. Oh, I, I've always hated cheese. This is not a dietary thing. I just and and most dairy. Like I, I hate milk too. I don't. I can put it in coffee, but not cereal. But like, and it's very. So I, I don't like. I broke a lot of bones growing up because I hate dairy. So I was getting <laughs> zero calcium. <laughs> How about uh, vegan cheese and dairy? Yeah, I can do that. That's amazing. Like I was in Canada doing promotion last week and everybody wants you to eat poutine, but I'm oh, like, right. I can't do the cheese. That sounds also kind of gross. So we went, we got, we were at a vegan restaurant for lunch actually. And I ended up having vegan poutine because it had vegan cheese. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that, that your book and about um, yeah. what you, what your writing schedule was like and, and what, how if that affected your uh, food intake? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it was it was sort of ironic and wonderful, and I just had to embrace it because I, you know, when you're writing a book, for one thing, it is not good cardio. <laughs> <laughs> I might, and, and it takes up a lot of time. And I also had a very full-time job while I was writing this. So my time was extremely limited, and my regular exercise routine got seriously interrupted. Not to mention the fact that writing your memoir, as it turns out, is kind of stressful. Yes. Um, and when you're under periods of stress, you know, old, old, that's when the old habits come creeping back. And I had to sort of re-grapple with emotional eating and with eating with total distraction because I was just like, you know, working while I'm eating and, and, and just because just I was stuck. But it was the kind of thing where I was like, I had to, instead of like freaking out and trying to hide it and pretend that it wasn't happening because I was like, oh, I'm gaining weight. Great. Um, I, I decided to sort of publicly acknowledge it. And I, I wrote about this fact because I was like, there's nothing shameful or disordered about what I'm doing. I'm writing a book. I'm doing kind of the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about, oh, I can only go to the gym a couple times this week. Or, um, you know, I had to order food every day for every week. Yeah, every day for lunch this week because I don't have time to like actually make something on the stove. That's this is a totally reasonable, not excuse, but like life event. And my body comes along for the ride. And I got to the end of it and I was like, ah, you know, I don't I don't feel comfortable about my body right now. I'm not psyched about how it looks and feels. And I and I but but I'm I'm not I'm not mad at myself for that. I'm deciding not to be mad at myself for that. Nor am I gonna be ashamed. You know, if I'd had a baby or something, I I, I wouldn't be beating myself up about that whole thing, I hope. Right. Um, but you did get have a baby. You had a book baby. I know. I know it's not the exact same thing. I don't want people to think like I'm comparing the two, <laughs> but it's still like the biggest 
thing I ever made. And it's, it's a big life changing thing. And you're like, your body's still long for the ride. And instead of like choking up and going on a crash diet to just like, just so I could feel presentable in public again, I decided to be like, no, no, I am presentable in public here too. I'm proud of myself. Look at what I've done. And this is just part of the deal. This is part of what happens when you do something. And so I'm just going to go back to my regular life now when I don't have this massive project. And I trust that things will normalize. And they are normalizing. Lo and behold. Yeah. Yeah. Did um? Do you find that when you're in the writing groove that you're less hungry or does it make you hungrier? No, I think I'm probably less hungry because I'm less, you know, active. If I'm like, if I'm writing a book all day, I, I do actually have a problem where sometimes I'll forget to eat lunch and then I will be starving at dinner. Uh, and that's not a good thing because, you know, eating a huge meal late at night actually doesn't, doesn't feel great for me um, in my body. I get tummy aches. So now I sort of remind myself to eat lunch. You know, that's a lot of people think that part of intuitive eating means like only eating when you're hungry and absolutely stopping when you're full. But like one of those, you know, a good example of how that's not true is like, okay, I know I need to eat lunch even if I'm not, you know, super duper hungry because it's going to mess up the rest of my day. So I prioritize lunch. Do, um, are you more of a, of a three meals a day kind of person or a snacker, grazer? Well, I try to actually, I try to have a structure of some sort because if I'm grazing, I find that I'm not going to actually get like, it's not going to be as balanced. And if I don't have, you know, I mean, I think most people will probably recognize this if they were, if, if they were being, you know, eating mindfully, if I don't get, you know, a good amount of protein in the morning, then I feel really sort of crazy and starving by, you know, noon. So I do eat in a meal structure, but it's, it's funny you ask because, um, I, I, as I said, I was having stomach aches from eating at night and I finally <laughs> recognized it was maybe time to go to the doctor about this because it was getting bad and turns out I have, you know, some pretty bad acid reflux. So now I sort of break up my, my lunch. So I eat half of it. I eat the same amount, but I break it up. So I'm eating it like 90 minutes apart to sort of give my stomach that chance to process. This is very sexy information. It is. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I stop eating at a certain time of night because I don't want to have um, a, a terrible nause- nauseated stomach. Um, so I have some structure in there, but it's not diet structure. It's sort of what makes me feel better structure. And that's why it's so much easier to maintain because it's not like a rule I'm trying to obey. It's like a thing I'm trying to do to feel good. You mentioned that you had an eating coach. How does one go about finding an eating coach? Um, Google. I did Google. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Yeah, you got to be a smart Googler. I mean, I, I I got very, very lucky also with Teresa. I wouldn't say just like find, you know, go with the first person you find. I mean, I got somebody who was had all the appropriate accreditations and was, you know, a grown-up professional person. Um, but they're, they're out there. And, you know, also I want to say that I recognize that as – that is a luxury that I would not have been able to do had I not been writing this column. And uh, I also knew that it wasn't something that was going to be going on for my entire life, nor did I want to have a coach, you know, every week for my entire life. But it was really, really important for me to have that help in the beginning because, you know, otherwise I probably would have felt like a crazy person and I would have quit, you know, within a week and just been like, never mind, Weight Watchers, I'll just do it again. It's fine. I'll figure it out. It's fine. How long do you think it's good to give yourself to, to see an eating coach if you're going to go that route? I mean, I think it totally depends on your situation. I mean, people who have 
you know, um, serious long-term disordered eating, that might be a longer time. Um, for me, I, I just worked with her for a little over a year and, and that was enough for me. But again, I think some people could be shorter and some, it could be longer, but you have to trust your own instincts and, you know, professional opinion. Yeah. You live in New York, correct? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me some of your favorite places to go eat? Ooh, yes. Okay, so I live in Brooklyn, and one of my all-time favorites is Peter Luger, the sort of famous steakhouse from like 100 years ago. It's right under the Williamsburg Bridge. I've never been there. Oh, my God. I've heard wonderful things. It's, I mean, it's everything they say. It's a New York institution that totally lives up to it. Plus, it's like the vibe is incredible. You know, it's a good place to go for a special occasion, or like I brought my grandfather for his birthday, and he just got a great kick out of it. Um, I also love... Well, I mean, growing up, I loved going to Serendipity, so I have a sort of soft spot in my heart for Serendipity. Did you grow Um, up in New York City? I grew up mainly in Westchester, but almost all my family lived in in the city, my extended family. My mom, you know, grew up in the city, and my my father lived there until um, they got divorced. And um, so I grew up sort of around and in the city, and it was part of our, our regular lives. Yeah. Okay. So Serendipity, were you getting the frozen hot chocolate? I was getting frozen hot chocolate. I was I was more partial to the forbidden Broadway Sunday because I was obsessed with Broadway as a kid and it had the word Broadway in it. It was really just a Sunday with like a bunch of cake at the bottom that Yum. like eighteen people to eat it. Um, but there's some wonderful places. I love Suin, which is um, a macrobiotic restaurant, and they have my favorite salmon I have ever eaten. Um, it's covered in this sort of magical almond pesto. I also don't have to worry about the cheese thing there. Uh, yeah. And there's just, there's, I mean, the rumors are true. The the food is fantastic here. <laughs> <laughs> They're not lying when they say there's good food in New York. Yeah. Um, well, I, we, we should wrap up pretty soon, but I just realized I was like, wait a second. I never talked to you about how you used to perform. Are you oh, still doing yeah. that? I am. Um, I'm not really. I mean, I do sort of speaking things and, and I, uh, do like I hosted a panel in in celebration of the book, which was fun. So I do that, but I I don't perform anymore. Although you know, if somebody pulled up with a van right now and was like, "You can be an understudy in the Midwestern tour of Annie," I would be like, "Yes, I'm getting in your van." Like, Who would you play? Well, obviously oh, not Annie right anyone. now. Anyone. But... <laughs> I mean, I I would lo- I would do the Star to Be solo. I would do um you know I would do the Grace Farrell character. I would do I would. Basically, anybody you wanted me to be in any play. Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but I'm still like a, a huge, huge musical theater geek and theater geek in general. I actually got myself a ticket to Hamilton. I can't believe oh, it. Oh, I went to college with uh, Lin-Manuel. Oh, my God. I make it sound I, like we're buddies. We're not. <laughs> but I'm very, very, we're all very proud of him. He's like a genius. As well you should be. As well you should be. I'm going by myself in March. I got a ticket in like August and I was, there was nobody I could convince, of course, to, to like, I couldn't, there's no friend you can ask to be like, do you want to spend a billion dollars on one ticket with me? <laughs> <laughs> me. I know. <laughs> well, Kelsey, this was wonderful. How can people find you? Oh, well, I uh, publish The Anti-Diet Project every Monday on Refinery29. And um, you can find me and my book at KelseyMiller.com. And um, I write all kinds of things at Refinery as well. Um, I don't just do anti-diet. I'm the senior features writer there. So I write a whole lot of stuff. I do an advice column. I do features. I do a whole whole lot of stuff. I'm there. 
And you're on social media too? Oh, right. Obviously. <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ms. Kelsey Miller. So it's MS Kelsey Miller. I love that you're Ms. Kelsey Miller because I'm Ms. Lin Chen. Nice. I've We're, never heard anybody else do that before. Do you have a lot of trouble getting people to say MS like Ms. instead of Miss? I'm always I, like, people. I do. I do. I mean, it's one of the things that looks normal when you write it, but saying it out loud is sort of complicated somehow. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. And that's it. We're done. Great. <laughs> Lovely. 